0: So a month ago, I was in New York. I was in New York State. I was teaching some. I had a little time to visit with old friends there. But one day, I went with my friend Joanna to a uh, maximum security prison for women in Bedford Hills, New York. It's the only maximum security prison for women in New York State. There are about 400 women who live there. And uh, they lived there for a very long time. Uh, And uh, my friend Joanna is a Jewish chaplain at uh, Bedford Hills, and she has been working with a group of people that come to see her as the chaplain on uh, mindfulness and loving-kindness practice, and they practice quite regularly. It was important for me to notice that in her group of 15 or so people who were waiting to spend that Sunday afternoon with me, uh, who were uh, set up to meet regularly with a Jewish chaplain, were many people who were not Jewish. In, in uh, a prison like that, you get to choose your religious affiliation. Uh, and Joanna thinks that many people choose to be with her because of the the orientation she has to teaching mindfulness and loving kindness and that the word is out so that people participate. I had a little bit of uh, thinking as we went up to the prison. We drove up there. I've been in prisons before and I've met with people who were incarcerated before and I wasn't worried about it. Uh, But I wondered. I I don't think I've been in a women's prison before. And I wondered how it would be to have a whole afternoon. (laughs) And I stopped wondering about it about ten seconds after I came into the room and sat down with them. They were a group of women waiting to talk about the Dharma. And we did that all afternoon. Uh, And uh, we sat. We did mindfulness. We did loving-kindness practice. We stood up in the middle and did some yoga stretches. Uh, Wasn't so much room. The chaplain's office is not enormous. And it's right next door to other rooms where other people are doing other meetings. So it's not completely quiet. You hear people out in the outside yard walking and talking. Uh, Sometimes you can overhear what the conversation is. You hear people in the next room But these women, these dozen, 15 women that I met with, were so clear about why they were practicing. And they were saying, you know, it's so hard to be here. There are things that are happening all the time that are upsetting, that could arouse anger or resentment or annoyance. And I need this practice. Otherwise, it would be terrible. This practice makes it possible for me to live here in relative peace. During the time that we met, during this several hours that we were together, all of a sudden in the next room there was a big hooray and people were yaying and people looked around and wondered what is the yaying and hooraying in the next room. And uh, I guess it was Joanna who went next door to check what happened And she came back and said, uh, Rebecca made her board, which means that Rebecca went up before the parole board and was granted parole. These are women who have spent 10 or 20 or 30 years in this prison. Most of the women that I met were middle-aged, and they had done or been involved with one very terrible thing 20 or 30 years ago when they were young. And when the, Joanna came back and said Rebecca made her, uh, her board, all of these women yayed and hoorayed and were so pleased and applauded. And I thought to myself, that is some mudita, some empathic joy for someone else who is free to leave. They said they're gonna, she's going to leave on Tuesday. These women are not going to leave on Tuesday. They're not going to leave maybe ever, maybe sometime, but a long time hence. And I thought to myself, the freedom of mind that allows people who can't leave to yay and hooray for someone who can who can, is amazing to me. That's an enormous freedom. And I thought to myself, I've been thinking about it all during the week because I know that during the week we've talked about metta as the practice of friendliness and metta as the practice of uh, wisdom And I want to say that I end up thinking about all of that's true, and I want to say metta as the practice of freedom. The freedom to not be bound by circumstance, not be bound by past experience. I I, uh, came in just uh, a while ago as he was sitting and heard Larry reading Desiderata and ending it with the words, strive to be happy. It's such a profound instruction because it means strive to be happy wherever you are, even if you're in a prison where really the freedom is so limited. You can only move in that prison from their dormitory, for instance, to the chaplain's office, from the chaplain's office to the dining hall on the hour. Every hour there's what's called the move and For five minutes, gates are unlocked and people can go to where they're going to go. There are guards all over the place, but if you miss the move, you have to stay there until it's five o'clock or six o'clock. It's the next move. At the end of the time that we were together, because it was the fourth day of Hanukkah, we lit lit Hanukkah candles together. And you probably know that that particular ritual of lighting candles that celebrate a particular kind of freedom that happened a long time ago historically. So we passed around a candle. I lit a candle and I gave it to somebody else who lit a candle, who gave it to somebody else. We were running out of candles. Two people shared a candle to light it. And people said something. We, we said the, the normal blessings that you say, the blessings for this particular holiday, and the miracle of, of freedom. And they said, each of them, something about freedom and their hope for freedom. And we'd spent much of the afternoon talking about the freedom of the mind, regardless of circumstances. And I was so inspired by those women. I spent days thinking about them. I really, that, I, I had a long period in New York and a lot of interesting things happened and I taught a lot of interesting places and I saw a lot of interesting things. And I think my afternoon at Bedford Hills was really in a certain way the most powerful experience I had while I was there. And somebody said to me this week, uh, in an interview, because I, I normally say to people, What are phrases are you working with? And somebody said to me, I'm working with a phrase, May I be filled with loving kindness. It's one of the <laughs> phrases that suggested. And I was, you know, I, uh, it's a lovely phrase. It's not one that I have used as a practice phrase. So I said, How was that for you? And this person said, You know, it was fabulous. Sometimes I say it, and it's just plain. da 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 And sometimes I said it, and I was filled with loving kindness. And I felt that, and it was wonderful. And I thought about that, and I thought about the freedom of being filled with loving kindness. If you are filled with loving kindness, there's no room for anything else in you. No room for resentment no room for anger or jealousy or envy or bitterness or recrimination. Filth, I actually had a, visual, uh, se- a visceral sense, as this person told me that, of like a, 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 a body, like a balloon that you could blow it up with air and it would be filled with air, and my body that could be blown up with this, this mind body that could be blown up with loving kindness so that there was not a drop of space left for anything else. I thought about this that this morning when uh, Heather was uh, uh, giving the instructions and she said, Am- among other things, in front of you and in back of you and to the right of you and to the left of you and above you, the the, the birds that are flying by, and underneath you, the animals that are burrowing along underneath you. And I had such a sense, again, viscerally at that point of, whoa, loving kindness coming out this way and out this way and that way and (laughs) down into the ground, like really that same visceral sense of the whole body filled up, chock full, blocked, so that nothing else could be there. I thought, what? I remembered that I told you the first night that Deepa Ma said, there is nothing in my mind, only concentration, loving kindness and peace. I think that that's so desirable to me and, and the, with the emphasis on the only because the only is what means that there's nothing else there. And the concentration, loving kindness and peace are not so different from each other. I think they're really integral to each other. You know, When the mind is concentrated and steady, it sees clearly and, it, and loving kindness is naturally present. When loving-kindness is naturally present, every, uh, every afflictive emotion, when we're filled to the brim with loving-kindness, every afflictive emotion cannot, has no place to take hold. The Tibetans have a, a, a wonderful phrase, they say, Tibetan Buddhists say, all hindrances are self-liberated, self-liberated in the great space of awakened awareness. I think, I think to myself. I imagine. I don't know. I, I know that the mind is without dimension, but I imagine a space of mind so big that if I have any story, it has no hook that I can hang it on. You know, the, the walls of my mind are pushed out so far. There's no place to hang the stories, from which come the resentments and the recriminations and the envy and the remorse and the this and the that there's no place to hang a story, they fall away. And then there's no stories. And then we're free of our stories. And we're free of the afflictive emotions. And what a boon that is. And I thought about um, thinking about that uh, in that uh, threesome of concentration and uh, loving kindness and peace, since they're all integral to each other, that if I just took out the word kindness, loving kindness is kind of a uh, a, a fancy word. I think it's a, a Victorian prayer book word. The word the word is metta in, in, in Pali and it means friendliness. But uh, I think about the the word kindness itself, which seems in a certain way humble, like just kindness like. Peace, but kindness—it's humble. But I think that actually, it is kindness that sets the mind free. Profound kindness, in all those directions. At my first Vipassana retreat, which was just a weekend long, and I and at a at a, a private home down in uh, San Mateo, and it was terrible. I was so uncomfortable. <laughs> it was hot. I was uncomfortable. I was. Thirty some years younger than now. So I shouldn't have been uncomfortable. I was a yoga teacher, but my back hurt. Everything hurt. My head hurt terribly because no one told me that there wouldn't be coffee there. Uh, uh, I really didn't get the instructions at all. I was more or less miserable the whole time. And my husband had dropped me off there because he had done some of that practice. He said, this is very good, so you should do it. I'm generally congenial, whatever he, you know, if somebody suggests something, I do it. So I went. I had no car. I couldn't make an escape. I had to wait until Sunday, and he came and got me. I spent a lot of the weekend thinking of what I was going to tell him when he came there, about how I thought about it. And when it ended, I uh, went home and uh, signed up for a two-week retreat up in Oregon State. And... Uh, and I thought to myself, uh, well, in retrospect, you know, because people said, you know, if you had such a terrible time, why did you do that? Uh, I have I have two theses about that. One <laughs> is um, I, I actually think that some of the Dharma got through my fog of uh, aversion and I heard it on some level and it appealed to me. And the other thing that I credit my decision to, is that on the mantelpiece of the living room where I walked back and forth and did walking meditation every afternoon, there was a redwood burl of the type that you buy in national parks, a polished redwood burl that that says sisters are friends forever and those kind of things, home (laughs) sweet home. And this particular redwood burl said, life is so difficult, how can we be anything but kind? And I thought to myself, if that's what they teach here, I want it. I really did. I still think (laughs) maybe we should get them here and put pearls (laughs) in the other (laughs) place. I thought, how can we be anything but kind? And it's not about, it's the kindness that comes through awakening, really. It's the kindness that comes through awakening through wisdom. It's not from arm-wrestling the mind into submission so that it gives up its habit of resistance. It's not that at all, because kindness is not passive. So it's not rendering the mind... It's really awakening it through awareness. You know, there's a story that's uh, often told about the Buddha, that uh, when he became quite known as as a really potent teacher... Uh, someone is said to have asked, are you a god? And the texts say, he said, no, I'm not. And they said, are you an ordinary man then? And he said, no, I'm not. And they said, well, what are you then? And he said, I'm awake. (laughs) I have my own uh, little fantasy. This is my wish. I wish that in that story that the asker, questioner, had said, what do you see now that you're awake that I don't see? If my, my imagination is that the Buddha would have said, I see how much suffering there is in the world, and I see that its only remedy is compassion. I think it's really the seeing of suffering, not only the suffering in the world that we know about, the palpable suffering of pain of of war the pain of of scarcity the pain of of uh, the pain of living in in a world where the resources are so unequally shared but the universal pain of old age sickness and death of losing what's dear to us of losing our own vitality our own dear ones in a certain way, the 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 the, the uh, being alive in a life is for everyone difficult. A few years ago, I thought of this today. I hadn't remembered. I love this story. I was um, I was leaving a uh, uh, a conference in Santa Barbara uh, to go to the uh, Los Angeles airport. And I had to leave, along with uh, a bunch of other colleagues who were at that conference, very early in the morning. So it was dark, and uh, it was 5 in the morning, 5.30. It was dark, because it's two hours to the L.A. airport from Santa Barbara. And it was dark, and it was foggy, and I chose to sit up in the front. I like riding in the front better. And uh, so all my friends in the back... And pretty soon we're riding along, and they're all asleep again, napping in the back. And um, I was a little bit dozing, and I I knew the uh, I knew the driver. I'd met the driver before some days earlier when I'd come down to Santa Barbara, and I was alone with him in the van, going down. So I knew that he had come from that. His name was Mohammed. He'd come from India. His wife and his children and his brothers and sister. Uh, were still in India awaiting visas so that they had come. He had started a restaurant with his cousin in Ventura. The restaurant had not survived. He was driving a van as an interim, what he hoped was an interim van, a job, so he got started in another way. So I knew quite a lot about him, so it wasn't very much small talk to make. So we rode along, and I'm riding along, and after about an hour he leaned over and he said... um, you know, I'm quite sleepy. Do you suppose your your friends in the back would mind if I drove off uh, at the next stop and got some coffee? I said, No, no. I'm sure they'd be very happy <laughs> that you did that. Uh, and uh, and as a matter of fact, if you'd like, I'll drive until we get there. <laughs> He said, no, I'm all right, I can drive. But now I was really fully awake, and I, I turned to face him, and, you know, I couldn't re-go I couldn't ha- re- go over the same small talk because I already knew that stuff. <laughs> so I said, uh, so, uh, Mohammed, you're a Muslim, right? He said, yeah, I am. I said, uh, do you pray? He said, yes, of course. I said, do you pray every day? He said, yes, of course. Uh, how many times a day do you pray? I knew he said, I pray five times a day. I said, okay. I said, um, uh, what do you pray? Tell me what you pray. He said, it's in Arabic. I said, that's all right. Tell me anyway what you say. <laughs> what do you say? So he said for a while, and then he stopped. And then I said, um, well, uh, do you have to, can you pray by yourself or do you have to pray with a lot of people? He said, well, you could pray by yourself and you could pray with a lot of people. I said, does it, you have to pray long or short? Does it take short?" <laughs> he said, well, you could pray long or you could pray short. <laughs> he, said, he said, but the truth is that you could stand all day and pray. It might not make a difference. It doesn't make a difference unless you connect to the prayer with your heart. I said, well, how do you do that, Mohammed? How do you connect with your heart? And he said, oh, he said, well, you just look around out there. And he's kind of waved at the windshield at the world out there. And he said, you look around and you think, it's just as if everybody has been thrown in the ocean and nobody knows how to swim. You look around and you see that, then you connect with your heart. So by then, I we're just riding along and I see that there's a Wendy's coming up over here. So I say, Mohammed, you want to pull off over here? And he says, no, I'm awake. LAUGHTER I love that. (laughs) You know, we have the same sort of wake when we go to a hospital. If I go visit somebody in the hospital and they're in the intensive care and you have to walk down a long corridor and they've got all kinds of rooms on either side and you look in and in each room there's a person that you don't know in a bed with people you don't know but who know that person huddled around the bed and everybody looks very concerned. And when I do that, first of all, my mind goes down a few decibels. If I were talking to someone, my voice would go down, too. But my mind goes down a few decibels. At that moment, any kind of extraneous stories that I am holding on anybody not there disappear because I just see this is what matters. This is a matter of life and death, as life, and life and who's dear to us and how we are with them is what in the long run matters. And it not only sobers my mind from any of the, Uh, nonsense that I might preoccupy myself with, self-centered wants or likes or whatever. It sobers it from that, but it sustains me in going to see my person. It's as if i it suddenly teaches me just by being there that I am not the only person with a very sick person that I'm caring about, that the whole world is in different stages of caring for each other. This is part of the human package. And I feel somehow consoled by the fact that I am not visiting and consoling myself. Everyone is consoling. It holds me up. It supports me. The Dalai Lama likes to say my religion is kindness. I think every enduring religion, really... Has its basis in a quest for kindness because the cognate of that kindness is a mind of peace and a world of peace. The Catholic Mass begins, Peace be with you and also with you, the congregation says back. The Jewish liturgical day begins with the evocation, I hereby commit myself to fulfilling my intention to love my neighbor as myself. Everyone knows that overcoming negativity and uh, adversity, av- enmity in the mind is the key to a mind of peace and that the way it expresses itself is in acts of kindness. It's a freedom not to need to deal with I wanted it another way. It's this way. And it 's difficult. How can I care for it? How can I love it? How can I cherish it? there's that lovely line in the Sutta that says, "Should we cherish in this way should we cherish all living beings?" It's really the liberation of the mind from all of the tyranny of the stories and the habits. There's a line that's the first line of a uh, meta chant, and the line is, "May I be free of enmity and danger." When I first heard it, I thought it meant, "Maybe, may nobody be after me." You know that, that, you know that nothing bad happened to me. I actually am quite sure that it means, "May I be free of enmity, and the danger that that would pose to my peace of mind that I am not free if there is any bit of enmity and resentment and bitterness left in my mind. (coughs) Angry about this or that or the other. I think that in those moments where we see what's true, the enmity falls away. There was a photograph on the front page of the New York Times (sighs) On a Sunday morning, a big color banner photograph above the fold in the New York Times on a Sunday morning, and I carried it around with me for a few years. I was so touched by it. It was a photograph of the war, the military action that the United States had undertaken in Afghanistan soon after it had begun. And it was really a picture of war happening with, in the background, people in a crouched position in fatigues, Soldiers, Marines, actually uh, walking with with guns drawn, crouching and moving along with guns drawn, and in the middle of it, sitting on the ground with his knees folded, holding in his lap, was a Marine medic holding the body of a small child. You may have seen that. I kept it. It's in my mind all these years. A small child, and it, it said in the caption that uh, he, this is marine medic, so-and-so, so-and-so, holding a child whose mother had been killed in the crossfire. So it was so clear in that moment that it doesn't matter whose side anybody was on or who did what to whom. It, it's somebody's child. And we are all caught in the crossfire. I, look, I think about that. I carry the picture around with me for a long time. I carry it with me now in my mind and I think of that about that Marine sitting down with the child to care for it in the middle of that. And I think about what if the world looked around and said, this is crazy. You look at that picture, people are about to kill each other in that picture. What if the world looked around in those situations and said, what are we doing? This is bizarre. Let's all sit down and find a child to hold. Or find a hand to hold, or find an old person that we can support in their in their final days. There must be something better, something that will console our minds more than killing each other and despoiling the earth. My friend Ted worked, uh, works has now finished a long job, as much as he could do of working for the government. Uh, He's a psychologist working with returning combat veterans. And he said, um, everyone is wounded, not just the people who are wounded in their bodies. Everyone is wounded. It's a dreadfully wounding thing to be in the middle of a circumstance. And how did we get to have a world now with so many people in it, after so many, so many generations and generations and generations and generations where we have not learned that if we do not live together as kin, we won't survive or the planet won't either. I read this year in the newspaper that that marine medic committed suicide just recently. When I travel to teach... I don't take books with me and, uh, to, to prepare, and I don't, take, uh, I don't take talks I've already given because I'm always thinking of new ways to say the same thing. Um, I always take three pieces of paper. I take uh, a paper with uh, uh, the poem uh, Kindness by Naomi Shihab Nye, the Palestinian-American poet, So uh, maybe maybe we'll read it, but we have a short time today and I want to share the Meta sutta with you. But the first line of the last stanza is after, after having depicted the world as it is, she says, then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. That's the best line. It's only kindness that makes sense. What makes sense in this terribly pained world. The other poem I carry is by the uh, Chilean poet Pablo Neruda, and it's called Keeping Quiet, Aquearse in Spanish. One of the final verses is, if we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt the sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. There's an earlier line where the whole of the poem says, if we stopped, if we count to ten, twelve, and the whole world stops, we would look around, we would look at the, the salt miner, would look at his hurt hands, we'd look at the hurt world, And we do it differently. We put on clean clothes and walk around in the shade, he says. The third piece of paper I take with me is the Metta Sutta, the Buddha's teaching on kindness. You've been chanting it all week. You know, I read the sutta over and over, and every time I read it practically, another phrase seems to me, aha, this is the most important phrase. (laughs) This is it. Of course, I've decided over the years that every one of them is the clue to freedom. But I'd like for us in a minute to read it together, and then we're going to do something. We're going to have a little time for you to think about it and explore with a with a partner, a question that we'll think about. There's just one thing I want to say first about the whole of it, so you'll be anticipating it as you read. One of the reasons that I am particularly um, taken with this instruction is that I think, in a certain way, it's the whole of what the Buddha put out as the path of practice. You read a, 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 a summary book on the Buddha's uh, Life of Practice. It has three parts uh, in Pali de Asila Samadhi Panya. In English, they're the cultivation of ethics or morality, the training of the mind, and the exploring of wisdom. And I think that this particular sutta, which when I read it for the first years of my practice, I heard only the instruction about wishing well to all beings. That was what caught my attention because that's what we were practicing here. After a while, I noticed that this instructions, it says the first sentence, this is what should be done for those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. This is it, the whole of it. And the first uh, piece of it, the first third of it, you'll know where it changes, are the instructions on morality training, ethical training. The middle section is how to do it. This is what you should do. Do this, 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 this to train your mind. In the beginning, do this and this and this and this to train your, the morality and the ethics, your interchange with others. The middle one is this is how you change your mind. And the end of it is this is how you understand what's true. And I will tell you that at different times, every one of these lines has seemed to me totally pregnant with meaning. So very important. At one point I was saying, there's one line in this whole sutta that's the key to all of them. And so let's start with that in mind. If you were looking for what's the one line that really speaks to you as the key, And we'll read it together out loud. Should we do that? Let's do that. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety. May all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be, Wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child. So, with a boundless heart, should one radiate all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will. Standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Okay. So you figure out which is the most <laughs> important lie? Who figured out things? Things. And we're not going to do it yet out loud. Who think? I just want to know if you thought if you thought something. Not going to call on you. Who thought something? Okay, okay. <laughs> Everybody, whether they thought something or they didn't thought something, think something, is now going to find a partner right near them, and for. 6 minutes you'll talk to that one part. 3 minutes you'll talk, the other person will talk, 2 minutes each. 2 minutes each. Quietly because we have a room full of people that are used to quiet. Who hasn't got a partner? Who hasn't got a partner? What do you think is the most long-term? She should be where she's getting the battery. <laughs> Ring the bell again, maybe? No, 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 no. I, want the, I want to get the thing ready Otherwise I can say it over I can repeat that This is Oops, I'll ring it one more time I really love it that uh, when I when I said who had a thought, nobody had a thought. <laughs> Clearly, everybody figured out a lot of things to think. <laughs> so here we are. Wasn't that fun? So really, one, one of the, I'd like to spend a couple of minutes, uh, and we, we'll see if uh, Quilly has uh, gotten the microphone to work, because it would be great if some of you told the rest of you <laughs> what was the phrase that you picked out, what was the phrase that you picked out, and why, and one sentence, Why you chose it? So, put up your hand if you chose a phrase. Okay, there you go, Mary Beth. Okay. Well, into the microphone. It's just one phrase, Mary Beth. May all beings be at peace. Okay. At at ease. Excuse me. At ease. At ease. Okay. All right. What else? What What other phrase did you choose? There's somebody right there, Heather. Well, I chose the uh, unburdened with duties. And so I think when I put in my notice to quit my job, I'm going to say the Buddha told me to do it. (laughs) 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 So (laughs) just following orders. But but seriously, I like the skilled in goodness one. Just the idea that you could be skilled in goodness. It's kind of cool. Thank you very much. Okay, somebody else. There you go, Heather. Uh, I liked one should sustain this recollection because you'd have to remember everything else in order to do that. (laughs) Thank you very much. Who else? What did you choose and why? Anita. Oh, no, no, Aaron. Go ahead, Aaron. We, we both liked um, by not holding to fixed views and that um, that kind of um, flexibility or uh, not being boxed in uh, uh, sort of opened up the rest of the sutta that everything else could flow from there. Thank you very much. Now, Anita. That was, oh, that was the two of you. Okay. That was the two of us, yes. Thank okay. you. Um, I liked the, and we talked about this last night with the Channing, but I, I really liked the radiating kindness over the entire world. I, I just thought that just represented some of that what you were talking about with the visual feeling of just being you, surrounded by it, filled by it. So, thank you very much. Yeah. Who else? Same. We were the same one. Oh, We've got teams of wishes. Here's Dwayne over here. So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. I thought if you did that, that uh, most of the other behavior would uh, flow. Thank you very much. Eileen Eileen is over here. Just to add to that one, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none. Mm -hmm. Every time I hear that, I just have to think, there is some I'd like to omit, but I have to say, omitting none, it reminds me that we need to be kind to mm-hmm. everyone. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Other people Anyone there?: here maybe? No, you're next. <laughs> Contented and easily satisfied. Because Thank if I'm it. contented and easily satisfied, everything, all the rest of this will just fall into place. Thank you very much. Is there someone up here? Mm-hmm. We realize this is repetition, but we're enchanted by it. so with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings? Thank you very much. What else? There's somebody. That was yours. Oh, great. (laughs) Others. Ah. (laughs) Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection because. I guess if we're not doing acrobatics or sleeping, we could always put some attention into our love, always. <laughs> you know, I always think that, uh, that when I come on that line about uh, whether standing or walking seated or lying down, I think, it's, uh, I think to myself that that means all the time, because as you say, there's, there isn't anything else. Except it's much more poetic to say it this way. <laughs> um, this is said to be the sublime abiding. Um, and it is that word abiding that... Um, I'm not sure... Um, it uh, connects the inner and the outer for me and simply has such a steadfast quality. Aryeh. Um, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, just those, those words exuded a, a visceral sense as a father, thinking about just the, the emotions and the... It doesn't, for me, need to say, then, then what would you do or then how should you feel. It's just very powerful. Thank you very much. straightforward and gentle in speech and I chose this because I think of myself as a beginner and one of the things that I remembered someone talked about on the first or second day is that metta isn't just about being nice and so the, the notion of straightforward speech can be done with gentleness and for me that's the beginning of the heart of metta. Thank you very much. you want to add one, Donald? (laughs) (laughs) I think that we're just at the end of our time, so I would like to say the last line, is not born again into this world. And I'm thrilled when I say that line. And I'd I'd like to tell you that uh, I don't know about um, successive rebirths on a literal level. I don't know. It's a more or less traditional and classic Buddhist belief. But I don't know about it. Um, But I think about the numbers of times every day that I am reborn into suffering, every time I get caught in needing to have things different from the way they are. That I actually am... um, Humbled sometimes by how um, how fragile the most peaceful of mind states is that my mind could be just lovely and content, and just in a moment one one thing goes awry, and agitation arises in the mind, or irritation at something that at something that's agitated me, or a memory comes in out of nowhere, and an old story starts itself. And until I stop telling the stories and until I have enough grounding in my mind so that the stories have no place to hang themselves, I'll continue to be reborn into suffering until I remember that I don't need to be and that um, liberation, freedom, is always a possibility. That the walls in my mind... That I get stuck in are walls that I create with all my fixed views. And if I find myself stuck in a wall, as soon as I stop building the view and telling the story, I can walk through it. And then I don't suffer anymore. So I think that I think of this very much as the world of being alive, as being falling into suffering and catching myself and then not suffering. And that I do plenty of successive. So when I come to that last line and it says, is not born again into this world, that's very encouraging to me. Tomorrow we go out into the world and the world that we left when we came here. It's much like the world you left a week ago. (laughs) (laughs) You might be happy to know that there's a fair amount of discussion in Congress about um, uh, paying attention to uh, civil discourse and um, the the country may have been startled into a reminder to pay a little bit more careful attention (coughs) to what we say and how we say it. But each of us goes out as ambassadors of that. You know, I, I, the the one of the one of the lines attributed to the Buddha comes along with the story of him sending um, people that he's trained, monks and nuns, out to teach in the world, and uh, all over the all over, far from where he was, go out on their own, and he begins that. that, that exhortation to go off and teach with the words, go forth, and teach this good teaching in the idiom of the people. And each of us will go out, and some of us will be Dharma teachers, but some of us will be everything else. But in the way that we behave, in the way that we are, in the way that we interact, we are, in fact, teaching the world and hoping to Invite and to seduce and to um, engage other people in a path of goodness and kindness and peace. So it may be so for all of us that we leave feeling safe and content and strong And share that with everyone that we meet. And thank you for working so hard all this week. It's inspiring to me always. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit DharmaSed